All right, Job 36 and uh, verse 1 through 4. He says, Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are still more words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and I will ascribe righteousness to my maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Um, what is, uh, in verse three, he says, I will fetch my knowledge from afar. What is he addressing here? Is he talking? Okay. So that's the, the, that's the first thing is it's, it's not from, uh, it's not from, from me. Uh, he seems to be claiming, uh, he says, one who is perfect in knowledge is with you. So he's either a really proud guy or he's inspired. Um, that's that's what we've been kind of talking about. These are the two opinions, and and there are a lot of opinions about about this guy Elihu. Uh, so he's definitely saying that he's got a different source material than these guys, right? There's another thought here, and it's possible that both of these are true. If you go back, do you remember Job? One of the things Job had, and I can't remember the exact wording of it, but Job had um, criticized these three guys because they're quoting all these poets. And Job was kind of upset that they, he, they were all very local. And he's like, what about, he, he said, have you appealed to the men from afar or men from other places? Like, you've got this very limited set of opinions. And, and there are a lot of people out there that might think differently from you. You think you're quoting all these ancients, but they're really local. And so I wonder if, if it is possible that Elihu is saying, you know, there are other opinions out here and I've been around. Um, so, uh, where is, we talked about Elihu, uh, do you remember his lineage? Remember who he says he, he goes back to, he, he started in, where is it? In Job 32, the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzzite, the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. Do you remember where we said that comes from and who he's related to very distantly? Okay, he goes back to Abraham's brother. All right. So <clears throat> it's kind of interesting that, that God took... Abraham, we know the story, and we're familiar with the story of how God removes Abraham from the Ur of Chaldees, right? And separates himself, a, a man from this paganism uh, from, from the Chaldees and um, from a people who will eventually become, you know, the Chaldean people that enslave Israel, uh, that paganism. And it, it's kind of interesting to see like this little rest of the story. God takes another family out of there, apparently. And we never hear about, we never hear their history, we never hear the family history, but here is another man, this, this Elihu, who believes in God, uh, the, the, the true God. And, and, and he's another success story from, from this area that, that we never heard about. And, and so I wonder, you know, we've talked about kind of the time frame when we think he lived around Isaac or Jacob, 
I wonder if he's familiar with these people. I wonder if what he's quoting is not just directly from God, but from a connection with these people. He's like, let me tell you what other people think and what, what some other people are saying out there. Um, that, that there, are, there are people that believe in a God and there's more knowledge than what you have. And I, I don't know that to be true. I just do find it interesting. Um, so it's just throwing it out there. Excuse me. <clears throat> so he's going to, uh, in the next couple of verses, he's going to start clarifying God's attributes and his motives and, and everything. So uh, we're going to pick that up uh, in verse five here. Or, yeah, 36, verse 5, he says, Behold, God is mighty, but he despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings, and he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. If they are bound in fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions that they have acted defiantly. He opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. But if they do not obey, then they will perish by the sword and they die without knowledge. If the, uh, the hypocrites in heart store up wrath, they do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in their affliction and opens their ear in oppression. So we're going to go through some of these, these uh, things kind of in, at least basically. In the first couple of verses, he clarifies God's attributes. What are God's attributes that he thinks are important to share with Job? Okay, so he begins with God's power. He's mighty, but not just might in, in physical strength, but also might in his, the strength of his wisdom. It's kind of an interesting phrase, isn't it, to, to think about strength of wisdom. What, what do the two have to do with each other? Okay. Yeah, okay. Now the strength to use wisdom. One of the things is you ever <clears throat> see just someone who has a command of their topic, right? They, they don't have to look at their notes to defend something. They, they just, they have a, there's a strength there. Um, and you also look at the way they use it. They're, they're not intimidated. Right. If someone if someone you can tell people who are a little defensive that they kind of believe a thing, they know some facts about the thing, but they, they kind of feel intimidated whenever someone approaches them on a topic. And then there's some people who are just like they smile. Yeah. OK. <laughs> you know, you ever, um, and, and I think there's there's that attribute of God that, that he is powerful in his wisdom. Um, and he says uh, he doesn't. Uh, preserve the life of the wicked. Now, does God preserve the life of the wicked? I mean, it says he doesn't. Do the wicked people live a long time? Okay. 
Now, that's what Job said. Remember, Job went through that long speech and said, wait a minute. You're telling me as soon as a, a person does something bad, they die? That's ridiculous. You know better than that, right? We know that. We know that to be true. Is Elihu contradicting that premise? Okay, so what is he saying then when he says he doesn't preserve the life of the wicked? He's talking about eternal life. Okay, it's possible that he's talking about eternal life. Um, what's that? Okay. Whatever they get, they, they get by themselves. They're not helping. And I think that might actually be closer. Um, I think he's not saying that, certainly, that, that wicked people don't live long, but that it's, it's not God that's making that happen. God, God's not arbitrarily choosing. Remember, that's what the accusation kind of has almost been on the part of Job, that he keeps helping the wrong people. I'm innocent, and, and he's, he sends his chariots against me, and they're constantly attacking me. And, and he's like, and, and then you look around, and, and it's the, the people that, and remember this whole time, he's giving God the credit for doing everything. Remember, that's kind of his problem, is he's giving God the credit for doing everything. And God's like, I don't do that stuff. Other things, there are other options. Right. Look for a third option. Um, and so um, <clears throat> he does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. It's the, the, the flip side of this. What, he's not saying that the righteous never suffer. Right. He's just saying God hasn't forgotten you. You're acting like this whole thing has been premised on the fact that God doesn't love me anymore. Bad things are happening to me. Good things are happening to bad people. So God is making them, you know, and, and doing all this. And God is saying, listen, I think at the bottom of it, I'm not a God of partiality. I, I'm not sitting here choosing to make bad people uh, have success. And I'm not sitting here choosing to force these things on you. There are other things uh, that happen. So, so I think he's addressing Job's view, and, and to, the, to some extent, the other, other men's views as well, or similar in that way. But in verse, beginning in verse 8, he starts then saying, so what then are God's motives in whether he does cause some things to happen or whether he's just allowing some things to happen? What are God's motives? Because God is righteous. So Elihu is going to set forth the righteousness of God and his wisdom. Remember, everything is done through the strength of his wisdom. What are some of his motives, beginning in verse 8? And there's an important word here. What important word do you see? It's a very small word. The word if. <laughs> That's an important word. If they are bound up, then this and that and the other. God doesn't always do things. There's an if here. Um, if they are bound in fetters, held in cords of affliction, then what? What's his goal in some of this? He tells them what? 
Here's your transgressions. Now remember, it's not saying that all suffering is from transgressions. James is I've, I've, throughout this book. I've been amazed at how many things from Job are are kind of repeated in the book of James. Remember, James talks about this. He talks about the healing of the sick, and he says they call on the elders to pray and anoint them. And if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. In other words, not all suffering is from sin, right? And it's almost the same exact story as in Job. If, right, then God forgives and he tells them of their transgressions. In other words, one of the motives, it's not exclusively, but one of the motives that might be happening is there might be sin. Uh, here's your transgressions. They've, and, and specifically in verse 9, what transgression? He lists one. It's not the only one that could be, but I think he's kind of addressing Job specifically. Acted defiantly. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. That was one of Job's sins. He added rebellion to his speech. It's not just that he had bad words, but it just kind of got worse and worse as it went along. He added rebellion to those sins. Um, What else does he do? Verse 10, what else is he interested in? Okay, realize and repent. So he opens their ear to instruction. Uh, Sometimes, um, like in Job's case, sometimes he was just off base because of his, his viewpoint. They started with the wrong viewpoint, and you're never going to get to the right place if you start out with the wrong, uh, the wrong equations on on God. Uh, if you're if you're starting with the wrong information and the wrong um, ideas, uh, you're going to get to the wrong place. And so he's like, you need sometimes just to hear instruction. What um, let's see here. Wait a minute. Um, what character of God do we see here? Mercy. Mercy. You see his kindness. He could just wipe out people. I don't like you. You said something bad about me. I don't like you. Boom, and you're done. And he's constantly correcting. You see his kindness. Um, and and you see that really. I think throughout this kind of in Elihu's tone, even uh, his tone is different as, as he speaks of God. Uh, he represents God completely different from. Uh, from from the way the three men, they kind of said the same thing. Oh, if you repent, God will. They, they said similar things, but there's just a difference in tone uh, as the way that the men and the way Elihu represent God. Uh, God's desire is to use situations, whether he makes them happen or whether he allows them to happen. Uh, one of the things that he's doing, not always, uh, is trying to rehabilitate people. Um if they don't obey, they will perish by the sword and they die without knowledge. God wants us to be closer to him. 
uh, in the long run. Um, when he says, those hypocrites store up wrath and they don't cry for help when he binds them. And I wonder how many things throughout here he's suggesting, right? Where, where, the, where the other three men kind of created this opposition and, and, and attack Job and, and get him to want to contradict them, right? You want to be defensive. He kind of goes around about ways, like he uses the they argument. You know, if they repent of their rebellion, if they do this, you know, it's so that it's not an attack of Job, but he's clearly, everything he's describing is Job, right? You know, when, when people do these things, it's a, it's a good idea that, that they maybe learn some things. <laughs> and he's, he's, Elihu is very clever in how he does it because it allows, um, it allows Job to save some face, to, to get the lesson without being, you know, publicly humiliated. Um, so, so he uses this third person example when he's clearly, I think, identifying Job in all of this. Um, well, verse 16, beginning, he, sees, he says, um, uh, Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there's no restraint and, where, and what is set on your table would be riches. So he does turn and talk directly to Job here. You are filled with the judgment due to the the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice do take hold of you because there's wrath. Beware lest he take you away with one blow. For a large ransom would not help you to avoid it. Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed. Do not turn to iniquity. For you have chosen this rather than affliction. And then verse 22 and 23 says, Behold, God is exalted by his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way? Or who has said you have done wrong? And we're going to get to uh, some uh, kind of some interesting things here and some difficult translations here. Uh, but he clearly here is talking to Job, right? And just to be clear, um, when he says you here, that's a singular you. So he's clearly talking to one person. He's not talking, he's not addressing all of them, right? And so he's going to address, I think, Job's perspective. Job has a flaw in his perspective. What has Job's perspective been of his own situation? Yeah. Where does that feeling come from? What, what belief, what core belief Okay, right. Job has set a baseline for what he expects out of life. He expects good. And um, you 
And so, so when you expect good, and when he talks about what God has done for him, right? Whenever that doesn't go the way that you expect it to, now you have to come up with a reason. And someone has to get the blame, right? Whenever something happens today in life, something goes wrong. What do people do? Right? Okay. That usually takes its form how? Hmm? It's a lawsuit. Got to sue somebody. Someone owes me something. I slipped and fell. It's the owner of the sidewalk's fault. <laughs> something happened. Who do I sue? Yeah. It's just that's the way things are. And and that's kind of been Job's Job's perspective too. He's like, hey, can I sue God? Let's go to court. That's kind of what he did. He went there. I want to go to court with God because I've been wronged. And um, that's just the way we think. <clears throat> and God has been telling him that's not the way it works. You don't get good stuff unless God allows it. You, you, you accept the good and expect it. And so Job has some uh, problems here in his perspective. What is he filled with? Verse 17. What's his initial, what does he jump to? What's that? So when when uh, when he says Job is filled with with certain perspectives, what are those perspectives? Okay, so justice and judgment. Right? That's the first thing that he thought of in all of this. He thought of his own justice, his self righteousness. These things take hold of us. Our rights. These are my rights, right? These, whenever something happens, we think of my rights. That's not the right approach here. You didn't immediately jump to, you know, I was so blessed to have a great life prior to and think bad things have happened. He didn't jump to thankfulness. He jumped to justice. I've been wronged. Um, yeah. It is. I think even though he had been a good person, you can't live that life without a certain degree of pride, especially at that point in time. What else? What did that produce? That has a direct step. What's the very next step? 
That feeling of justice and judgment produces what? He says, because there is wrath, beware lest he take you away with one blow. The very next thing, that feeling of your rights being violated produces anger. And that's where he jumps to. And this is the step of his rebellion. That's why he says, you're, this is the, these are the things. This is the, the process you went through, Job. Um, and so Job needs correction. This is that correction, this wisdom like, that, that he's been addressing. You need some, some correction. And this is that course correction. And then um, verse, uh, verse 19 has, um, he says, will your riches or all your mighty force keep you from distress? There is a problem with this translation. As, as people are um, trying to figure this out, and this is a translation that they've, they've because it seems to make sense, um, he had been a rich person, except that he's not rich anymore. He's got no riches to to cry out, to, you know, to to you know, to rescue him. He has none. So in that sense, it doesn't really make sense, um, unless he's speaking of his past life. He's like, your riches were never able to save you. But uh, the word here, the reason that this is translated this way, is because there are two words that are, I don't know, they're they're related in their root, but they're not the same word. And one is riches or wealth, and the other is a cry for help of some sort, or some cry, some, some translated a cry for help. Well, the reason they've translated riches is we automatically think that a cry for help would rescue us, right? If I'm crying to help, that would rescue us. But I think it's connected. Uh, the, the cry is the more correct translation here if we literally translated it. So, uh, so, so there's this debate between people to, to look at you know, what makes most sense in the context. But if we look at this not so much as a, a pleading cry, but connected with the previous statement that there's wrath, that this is an angry cry. This is like a, a yelling back against God. He's like, is that going to save you? I think that, that might be more, more accurate. Again, I don't know. Um, it's, it's translated it's about half and half the way people translate it. So I don't know. Uh, but but either way, your anger or whatever things that, that you're going to use to try to, to create your own uh, your own escape from things, they, they don't work. Um, and then what was the uh, verse 20, what is he describing? <clears throat> well, well I, I thought about two different ways to look at that. Okay. One, where don't desire death. Because okay. it's like it's almost like uh, you know the whole concept of of suicide or giving up is God, right? Where you, you know you're doing wrong, so you're hiding your um, 
you're hiding your sin. Mm -hmm. Right? Don't don't you know yeah. cut off for that also. Yeah. So yeah, I, I whether it's death or um, you look at um, what Job has talked about throughout this, um, his thoughts have tended towards depression, and it, I think even even without the the you know the the concept of death, when you look at depression, people. And depression sleep a lot, right? And uh, it, it seems like, like Job has said, I, I, when I go to bed, I, I can't even get to sleep. He's, he's is like, this is a, a something he wants. I, this is the only escape I get, right? And that, that's why depression is linked to sleep, is because it's an escape from reality. And she's, don't, don't be like those people. Don't let depression set in. And I think that's kind of what it, what it is. He does address the concept of, of sin, um, as well uh, throughout here. Um, so, so it's not, again, it's not 100% clear, but, th but that is a, a, a progression. People, when you can't control your own destiny any longer, when you've exhausted all your means, and he's run through the course of different ways that people try to control their own destiny, and you can no longer do that, there's a feeling of, of helplessness, and that produces depression. Um, so I think he's he's talking about this this natural progression that even people go through uh, when we are upset about not being able to to make things work anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of these things that he's mentioned are are a removal of yourself from God, whether it be self-righteousness or whether it be sin or depression or whatever. They're all things that take you away from God in some way um, or other. So a verse, uh, verse 24 beginning says, remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone's seen it. Man looks from afar. Behold, God is great. And we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered for he draws up drops of water, which, still as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds or thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the people. He gives food in abundance and he covers his hand with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it, the cattle also, concerning the rising storm. There's a lot of these are just poetic statements to come to one conclusion. So we're not going to spend a lot of time in this section. Um, but um, what does he begin with? Verse four. What is his caution or his encouragement? However you want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We speak so freely of the things that we know nothing about. And he's like, just remember that all of these things come from God. Job has spoken very freely about things that he knows nothing about. Um, 
So remember to, to praise his work. At the end, the end result of whatever I say should be praise to God. And, and Job started there. Do you remember Job did start there? We don't want to be too harsh on Job. He gets all this bad news, and the first thing he does is he goes and sacrifices, and he worships, and he prays, and he falls on his face, and, and he says things that honor God. And it, it's just a slow process of how he gets away from that and gets to his self-righteousness and his justice and um, his opposition, obviously helped along by his friends. Um, but there's another thing in here, the, the end thought. He talks about all these forces of nature, right? And verse 31 is interesting. What does Elihu tell us? At least sometimes this is true. I don't know about 100% of the time, but, but this is a, a thing which we have to keep in mind. All of these forces of nature, he talks about lightning, he talks about... He says, by these things, he judges people. We're sometimes quick to dismiss the connection between natural events and God punishing. God sometimes does use these things. So, so we, we even get this idea. Is it, he covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. I was like, hey, don't stand too close to him. His lightning is going to strike. That's, this is where this comes from, <laughs> I think. Hey, that, that, uh, I don't know how often it happens, but, but, uh, or maybe this is just a metaphor. But God does use powers of nature sometimes to punish people. I mean, you go back in time and you see just people wiped out. Yeah, he, and, and yeah, it's not for you to know. It's not for me to know when that happens, but it's just a reminder. Hey, God made all these weather things. He can use them. So speak of what you know and don't speak of what you don't know. Um, I want to look at chapter 37 here and get into it. Um, it's not a long chapter, and, and uh, again, it's a lot of poetic things here, and so I don't want to get into it too deeply. But uh, in 36, or excuse me, 37, uh, he says, uh, looking at the first 13 verses, he says, In this my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. So he's kind of picking up where we left off. Um, after, after it, a voice roars. So that's the thunder. Uh, he thunders with his majestic voice and does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we can't comprehend. For he says to the snow, people in Texas, listen to this one. Here he says, he says to the snow, fall on the earth. And likewise, the gentle rain and the heavy rain and the str of his strength. He seals the hands of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into dens and remain in their lairs. And from the chambers of the south come the whirlwind and the cold from scattering winds of the north. And by the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. And also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds and he scatters the bright clouds and they swirl around being turned by his guidance so that they may do whatever he commands them or uh, 
uh, on the face of the whole earth. And he causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for his mercy. Um, I think that's kind of interesting. Um, that when God decides to do something in nature, he freezes all of the actions that people are doing. <laughs> and we saw that this week. They said, just things shut down. Boom. You're not going nothing. You, you think you're so powerful. And when God just decides to move a little weather, it completely stops life in its tracks. We are really pretty small. I think that's the idea. And here is a much better picture in verse 13. What does God use his weather for? Punishment. We already talked about that. But what else? For his love and mercy. And what else? And this is interesting. His land. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> Sometimes God just does it because it's a part of nature, because he's keeping nature going. And in the end, it's not up to me. This is the whole thing. And remember, Job never gets the explanation that he was asking. I want an explanation, God. And God never explains to him about Satan. He never figures that out. It's not, a, it's not for you to know. It's for you to live the right way and use it as motivation if you want. But it's not for you to know how and why everything happens. These are the three things that that God does things for. He that does it to help you by punishment, he does it to help you by showing you mercy, or it has nothing to do with you. God made the earth, and he may just want the earth to keep going. And these are the cycles of life. It snows. We need snow. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah? Well, but, but whether... Uh, it, we don't, you know, uh, th there's so many things that happen in nature that, that uh, you know, we just, like you talk about, he talks about the land, you know, there's no better fertilizer than lightning. Did you know that? Yeah. The nitrogen that comes from lightning on a daily basis is more than all the fertilizer that you will ever put on a field. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. God's got this all figured out. And in and, and the same incredibleness, God says, here's, here's, a, here's a tragic event, but something good comes from it. it it's, it's amazing how God has orchestrated life. Just listen to this, Job, verse 14. Stand still. Be still and know I'm God, right? Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know that when God dispatches them and causes the light of his clouds to shine, do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why your garments are hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind. With him have you spread out the skies as strong as a cast metal mirror. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be afraid? Should he be told that I wish to speak? God, I wish to speak now. Should, should, should God have to hear those words? <laughs> because Job has uttered them quite a few times. Should God have to be told that? If a man were to speak, surely he'd be swallowed up. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies. 
when the wind has passed and cleared them. He comes from the north as a golden splendor. With God is awesome majesty. Now as for the Almighty, we cannot find him. He is excellent in power and judgment and abundant justice. He does not oppress them. So therefore men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. And so um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about Job's vanity, which is man's vanity. And that's, I think, what he's addressing here. It's kind of an interesting statement. Um, because we, we know more than people knew at that point in time, right? Do you know how God balances the clouds? Well, we can explain how things turn to vapor and it's lighter than, it's less dense and so it floats. And we could explain that, right? Job couldn't have explained that. Or uh, I don't know why your garments are hot when the wind from the south comes. Yeah. Can't we explain hot and cold? So is this some demonstration of superior knowledge? What about now? Would this be said now if, if Elihu came to us now, would he still say something like this? Yes. Yeah. That's that's a really good description. I can take any scientist on any subject, and I can turn him into a babbling idiot by doing one thing: presenting him with a three-year-old. I just have a three-year-old talk to him. Why? Well, because this, 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 and this. Okay, but why? You got about four of those, and he's out of answers. Because it, 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 it's not because of the four-year-old, three-year-old. It's because science is so deep. Okay, so why do electrons do that? Uh, I don't know. Okay, you explain that they do that. That's wonderful that you know that they do that. Well, why do they do that? All right. You get to a point where you can't answer it. Yeah. <laughs> right. An avalanche. Right. Right. So even if it's scientific or whatever, men still choose to do what they choose to do and ignore. Right. That's true. That's true. Right. Here's here we are thousands of years later, and and man is just about as dumb. In, in a lot of ways, we're, we're, we're more educated, but, but practically, we're, we're still kind of dumb. You know, that's true. Uh, so, um, we're, we were talking about it this morning that, um, you know, even you take something that happens every year. Yeah. You know, clockwork, right? You yeah. You get moths and, and, and butterflies that spin cocoons. Yeah. And, 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 you know, this miraculous thing happens, right? How do they know to do that? Yeah. How do they know... Right. 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 It it happens so frequently we wouldn't call it a phenomena anymore. But it's still amazing. We still can't. We can explain elements of it, but we don't know how. Right. So so there are there's this vanity, and that that man has, 
And, and so uh, in all of these topics that we've talked about, there's this one similarity that under it all, we don't know anything. We're no different than Job. That's, that's underneath all of this. And so he just says, but you have the common sense to not to look at the sun, right? Don't you have the common sense not to look at the sun when it shines? But you, Job, you'll answer God and you'll, you'll sit there and stare into the sun and, and argue with the sun. It's the same thing. Have the common sense not to try to argue with God over, over life. All right, we're going to close there.